0: contractor's journey to self-mastery requires discipline, integrity, and respect. Welcome to Hammer and Grind. Welcome to Hammer and Grind, the podcast built for contractors. Real contractors, true stories, real solutions. My name is Brad Hebner, and I will guide you on your journey to mastery of your construction business. You can find Hammer and Grind on all the social media platforms. Just search for Hammer and Grind Podcast. Now, if you're looking for more help, you can check out our free Facebook group called The Contractor Profit Group. I do free trainings in there and it's a great community to be a part of. Now, if you're serious about making more money, saving more time, and creating a business that supports your lifestyle, check out my paid coaching group called The Profit Club. I've put together a proven system for creating a winning business. Now listen, I'm so confident that you will succeed in my program. I'm now offering a 10x ROI guarantee. That means if you don't make at least a 10x return on your investment within a 12-month period, I will refund you the full amount. You can find out more information about The Profit Club at hammeringgrind.com forward slash Club. All right, on this podcast, we have a special guest today, Shane Robinson. Uh, Shane is the owner of YCAM Construction located in Gillette, Wyoming, and they specialize in post-frame construction. Shane, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Brad. Yeah, absolutely. So, we know each other for a little while, and I wanted to have you on just to kind of talk about construction, talk about what you're seeing out there in the field. We can talk about post-frame construction all kinds of things. So wh- let's start with just tell
1: us a little bit about yourself and your business, what you guys do. Cool, cool. Yeah. So, like mentioned before, Gillette, Wyoming, post frame construction. We build pole barns and been doing that for five years now. I had YCAM construction for six. And just a few years ago, when I finally started pulling my head out of my butt and uh, started doing some coaching. And Sales training and delegation of employees, and it's been a fun ride, interesting ride for sure. So,
0: so Gillette is that like? Does the Gillette razor have anything to do with where you guys are? No or is coincidence. No,
1: okay. that's coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> I had to ask. I wasn't for sure. No. So, yeah, we got a giant factory. No, we don't have nothing like that. <laughs>
0: Okay. So you're in post-frame construction. Now you said that you've had your business for six years,
1: been doing post-frame for five. What did you do the first
0: year in business?
1: Yeah. So we actually started out flipping homes and doing concrete work for uh, my business partner at the time. He had a lot of investment properties. And I was coming out of college and said, Hey, I want to start a construction company and here we are.
0: Gotcha. So he, he owned a bunch of investment properties, saw an opportunity to have someone basically do the work for him, which would be probably a little bit of a discount uh, for him. And then uh, that's how you got your start. And then uh, a year later, you started doing post frames. So you said, I guess you're no longer business partners with him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We actually bought him out last year. So
0: Oh, okay. Okay. But you made the transition to start doing post-frame. What? Why did you make that?
1: Why did you specifically go into post-frame construction? Yeah. We just kind of fell into it. We looked for... We ended up having an opportunity to hire somebody on and get the Lester Buildings dealership. I wish I know what I know now about sales and marketing. I think it would have been a lot easier. So we basically hired a a guy on and brought the Lester buildings, and so then like we really put a heavy focus on on doing the pole barns.
0: So the Lester building is that a
1: supplier manufacturer or? Yep. So they'll they have an improv software uh, back then too. Like I mean, it's only been five years, but the software is awesome for estimating and designing the building. They have engineers to stamp. Everything and it's a complete package shows up on a semi and everything's there. You just got to bring your tools. So, you have
0: then this, this is they're we're not sponsored by Lester. Maybe we need to recall them and <laughs> yeah. get the yeah. sponsorship deal out of it. But uh, they are do, do they have exclusive packages like you're the exclusive dealer for 100 mile radius
1: or whatever? Or does how's that work? It is kind of exclusive, kind of not like you have to get in with them first, but. Right now, they're actually looking for a, a dealer in the Black Hills neighborhood. So, anybody listening from South Dakota. <laughs>
0: okay. I have uh, very, very... And, and this is not post-frame. This is uh, structural steel, but it's, it's kind of the same process. I have very limited experience. I used to be a project manager or construction manager, rather, for a developer. And we did a uh, steel frame strip mall. And we hired an erector but they they go through a package company similar mm-hmm. to what what you guys would have and they design it and they have in-house engineers and they put their stamps on it and all that stuff and then they ship out the materials so i imagine it's kind of the same process just steel instead of mostly wood but yeah, yeah that's so okay so you got into the post frame part of it, and that's pretty much all you do right like you you're not doing i mean you do like do you do the whole thing turnkey? Do you sub out part of it? How do you guys have that set up?
1: So we we do both. And we'll either do turnkey or partial turnkey. But as soon as you want to start doing your own, starting to get your hands on it, then, then we want to have a clear cutoff of when we actually step out of it.
0: Okay, so you're not like... Oh, my cousin's an electrician. Can he do all the yep. electrical and then you finish it? You're like, well, we'll do it all up until the rough end and then you take over from there. Like we do it all or or we don't, we'll stop at a certain point.
1: Yeah. And we can always come in after and have a, a separate conversation okay. about doing phases. But
0: So this, this, is, this is smart and I, I want to dive into this for a second because this is actually really smart.
1: Why do you do that? Well, one, we have timelines and we have schedules and they're already tough enough to keep um, without having someone attempting to GC a project with us um, and relying on somebody that we don't necessarily have any input on.
0: Yeah, it, it's, it's, and, and I'm, I'm, it sounds like that you're doing this because that's how you control the outcome. That's how you control the cost. That's how you control the the, uh, the quality and the timeline. Is that right? yeah yeah so this this piggybacks on a on a uh post that i saw on a facebook group the other day the guy was uh he was a, it was in a tile group and he was <clears throat> excuse me he was complaining that the customer was providing the materials right like he was doing the labor they were providing the tile they get halfway through the project they run out of tile because they the, the customer didn't order enough and now he's sitting like I think it was like might have been like 30 days or something crazy that they had to wait on the new tile because it was special order and so he's out of work for so many days maybe it was three days I don't remember but he's he's out of work for so many days on that project and he's asking you know for advice on how to handle that and uh, you know I responded but my and, and anyone listening this is why you should always provide materials for jobs and why you should always uh, control the entire project like Shane's doing because that's how you provide the the guaranteed outcome essentially, right? And I use the analogy, would you drive a car and let someone else control the gas and brakes? Would you, Shane? Would you let someone else?
1: <laughs> I mean, if I was feeling reckless that day, maybe.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what you're doing, right? Like if, if you're, you might be driving the car, but if someone's like, oh no, we're we're stopping right here. Like what the hell like let's go let's go, let's go, we gotta get this done so that's a that's a good analogy um and I'm sure you've learned this through not doing it that way right mm-hmm. through experience yeah yeah have have you ever had situations where the the customer was kind of wanting to do some of this and and you were letting it you know you were letting them do this, and then you had it affected the outcome, and then the the customer started complaining about the outcome.
1: Mm-hmm. Has that yeah. ever happened to you? For sure. A lot of a lot of the uh, the reasons why I do what I do is from personal mistakes. Yeah,
0: and 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 that's why I, that's why I want to do these podcast interviews is because I've I've done it myself. Right, I, I used to let people provide materials. I used to let them buy the vanity to do a vanity swap in a bathroom and we get out there and it's a cheap Lowe's vanity and it doesn't work. It's like, no, this, this won't work for what you're wanting to do. And they don't know any better, right? It's not necessarily the customer's fault because they want to buy, you know, provide the materials. They think they can get it cheaper and they're going to save some money. But if you're a contractor and you're listening to this, this is how you, this is how you actually provide a better quality product to your customers is by controlling every aspect of it.
1: Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree. So saying that too, they're, they're trying to control costs or they think that saving money, how do you communicate that to them? Then, How do you communicate to them that they're not saving money or? Yeah. Or without maybe just
0: instilling fear in them. Like, is there a, yeah that's a great question. You know, I, I think they probably aren't saving money. In some cases, it is cheaper for them to provide materials, right? I mean, I teach and you and you also do something similar in your business, but you know, I teach the markup materials hundred percent, right? So if someone if, if let's use the vanity again as an example, if someone's buying a $500 vanity. Well, I'm going to I'm going to mark it up $500, so it's a $1000 vanity. So if they provide the vanity themselves, they're in a se- in a sense, they're saving $500, right? Mm-hmm. Now you and I both know it's not that it's not that straightforward, right? There's all kinds of little things in there. But they could, the customer could potentially save a few hundred dollars by providing the materials. But there may be a cost to that. Because if we do come out there and the vanity doesn't work and now we have to wait a day or we got to pull off or they have to run to the store and get a new one or whatever it is, it could potentially end up costing them more money in the long run. So that $500 savings, they may end up costing them $600 to do that. So the way I convey that to clients or uh, customers is simply, one, I just tell them I don't do it. Like I, I I won't work with them. Right We provide a turnkey solution, kind of like what you were saying, We'll do a certain part of the project, but I'm not going to piecemeal out different areas because this is how we control the outcome and the quality of the product. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, you know, like with tile, I use a specific tile vendor, and I say, no, you need to go to this vendor. This is where we buy the tile. Yes, you can go to Lowe's and you can buy something that looks similar for for cheaper. But it's not the same quality. So this is how we provide the the quality project from start to finish. And if if you have a problem with that, then you know we're probably not going to be a good fit for you. I mean, that's in a in a in a thirty thousand foot view. That's how I convey that to my
1: customers. Okay. How do you do it? So one, I would say that uh, being transparent with your numbers is good. And if people are trying to save on that markup, your that markup is going towards your overhead. So if they are saving on the vanity, like you, you then have to uh, compensate for that somewhere else. So on estimates anymore, it's a it's a lump sum itemized, or it's not itemized; it's a lump sum. We can itemize the details for you and show you what like. What is going to cost? Um, um, what is going to cost you? Like if you went and bought it at the store, but and you've talked about it before of your sheet, um, allowance sheet, yeah, allowance sheet, yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. But we don't like with pole binders. We don't really dive into.
0: Sure, that'll hold. Yeah, lot. I'm not going to go out and buy my own PO barn package. Now, I mean, I could go to Menards, you know, I could go to a nun- Menards and buy a PO barn package. Have,
1: has anyone ever tried to do that with you? Yeah, yeah, and I have a lot of stipulations. So, and I can tell you right now, there's if you want to just buy a, a straight Menards package, it's going to cost you a lot more in the end than if you do a hybrid version of what what I like doing. So, what's a hybrid version? What's that mean? If say. As you know, like with COVID, we have other options other than Lester because Lester really got out there on on scheduling and sourcing their stuff. And it is a a premium product, one for service and the quality of the materials. So hybrid, you get lumber yard, lumber, and then we actually have a a company a couple towns away that we get our steel from. A lot better steel, a lot better customer service. If I need trim bent, I can call Reggie over there. And by the time I get to Sundance, they already have it ready for me sitting outside. So so when you say hybrid, you're
0: just being like you have other options in terms of vendors. Yep. yep. Okay. I got you. But you, I mean, you pr- primarily use that one company, Lester. And then if you need to augment, you can, you have options there. Yep. So you're not like using half of a Menards package and then half Mm -hmm. of another one. It's like, it's one, it's all or none, basically. Have you had any pushback with, in terms of leads or sales from people that do want to, you know, do some of the work or whatever and you're like, no, this is how we do it. Like, what kind of, what kind of response are you getting and what's the usually the outcome of those types
1: of things? Yeah, I guess I don't, really have a whole lot of people other than i would say friends that would want us just to show up and set columns and trustes for them and we typically don't do that for people pushback wise like really it's just in the sales and the communication if we aren't a good fit for a client there's a, a few other options here in gillette that you can go and and find somebody to do the same project for you so
0: so let's. I want to segue into the the leads and stuff. Right now, what in your area, what in what you're doing? What are you seeing in terms of lead flow? Are you seeing it slow down a little bit, other than normal like seasonal things? Are you seeing the lead flow slow down? Is it increasing? Like, where are you got? What are you seeing? Where you're at? So,
1: I I think this is going to be a difficult conversation or a difficult topic to like really judge because. Recently, in the last couple months, we've really started pushing again on marketing. So I've seen leads increase. And I can't necessarily say like straight across the board, leads are going up because I think it's a direct correlation based on our involvement on the marketing side. So did you start increasing your
0: marketing because you're, in a sense... You know, you're know, you anticipating a change in the marketplace or just because of your, you trying to scale your business and that's just part of your
1: growth uh, plan? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's a couple of things. Small business owner, I, uh, I get distracted with other portions of the company that I need to focus on. And because of that, the ball gets dropped in other forms, which was on the marketing side of things. And two, yeah, there's, there is a concern. Gillette is actually energy-based and what we've seen when everybody else around us has a recession, like we actually have been in a recession up until last year. coal's now at 30 bucks a, a ton and the oil has been crazy. As you can tell by when you fill up your gas gas tank, that's actually good for us, not necessarily good for the rest of the economy. So we kind of have a, a delayed graph, if you will. Well, that, I'm in Indiana. So, you know, it's,
0: it's funny. A lot of the trends and when we had the 2008 recession, housing market crash, mm-hmm. uh, it, it really didn't affect us until 2009. So, you know, everything happens on the coast, right? Yep. California, uh, the East Coast, and even down in Florida. And then it slowly works its way in towards the the Midwest. And so we're always six months to a year behind the curve. So I, it's probably similar to where you guys are as well yeah. as far as the, the lasting effects of that. So you, you're not really seeing a slowdown in leads, but also you've upped, upped your marketing. So that may be offsetting some of that slowdown or you may just not even, you know, may not be having a slowdown yet you, yeah. you might not have a slowdown for six months or a year yep. based on that what's happening i'm just curious because i'm trying to get some i'm trying to ask people all over the country you know what they're seeing just to kind of get an idea in terms of the um, you know lead volume in the economy do you have any concerns about the economy and the future in terms of slowing down a real recession, maybe even depression, is that a concern of yours or you're just like, I don't think it's going
1: to happen? I I think you would be oblivious if you said it's not going to (laughs) happen. So history is there for us to learn from. But none of us are fortune tellers either. So we don't know how it's going to happen when we should have bought Bitcoin or (laughs) anything. So, But you can plan ahead. So yeah. Um, And the one way to stay out ahead of it is to develop on yourself with the sales and get in coaching. And another one is working on your branding so that when the recession does hit, yeah, maybe, maybe you don't build as many buildings or do as many projects, but you still have the good core um, skills that not hardly any of the other contractors have. And you're able to actually weather the storm and when the pieces start going together that you're able to ride the wave to the top again. So, Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, you, you've been in for five years and in your business. So when you started, we weren't in the boom that we're in right now or have been in the last two years. Right. So you got a kind of a pre boom taste of like how hard it is to get leads and, and, you know, be profitable and all that in your business. I think there is going to be a lot of contractors come the end of two thousand twenty three are going to be out of business if not before. Then, do you do you agree or disagree with that? The one, I mean, let me rephrase my statement: Contractors that have started their business in the last couple of years, like that started during the boom, do you think they're going to have enough experience or take enough
1: uh, precautions to prevent that from happening? I would say that they're probably going to get knocked down. Very hard, and if they're actually paying any attention, they, they'll definitely come back a heck of a lot stronger because of it. But they're going to be at the very bottom, at the, the if not out of business. Yeah. yeah, I
0: know, I know you see it, I see it all the time. You know, you see the guys that start. In the boom, they throw a magnet on the side of the truck. Their phone starts ringing off the hook, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Man, this contracting stuff's easy. I'm making money. I'm gonna go buy a brand new truck yeah. and a bunch of toys and a boat and four wheeler and side by side. All the new pack I don't know about you. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I see those guys at Home Depot and Lowe's, and I just laugh at them. I just shake my head and laugh because yeah. I'm like, you're gonna be out of business in six months to a year. Yeah. And they they're laughing at me
1: because I'm driving the old junker still. Yeah, cruising around town.
0: Exactly. And I've I've had this conversation many times about don't spend your money when you make it, right? Because you need to plan. I was watching a TikTok video the other day. This was like kind of recording a uh, mastermind of a bunch of millionaires and billionaires in a room. Okay. People that know how to make money. Yep. And the one guy that was talking used to be I don't know if he was the CEO or the president or whatever, but he was in a Fortune 500 company, a very large corporation. And he said that they had, the question was asked, like, how much reserves do you keep on hand for your business? And he said that they kept a two-year operating reserve in their business. So they had enough money in the bank, liquid, that they could pay their expenses for two years without making one sale. Mm -hmm. I would be hard-pressed to find a lot of contractors that have one month's reserve in their in their bank. I'm just curious, like, do you have those types of contingencies in, in place for your business?
1: I would say that I don't have two years. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. But I... But you have more than a month. I, uh... And then the other one is I. I actually don't use a whole lot of debt either. So... I like to.
0: You run a lean, you run your company lean, like you've paid off your debts. Run it super lean. I don't buy and new trucks. Way,
1: so,
0: right. I mean, eventually you'll have to buy a new vehicle. Eventually mm-hmm. you'll have to buy new equipment. But you're you're making plans for that for the future, so that you're not going to be going out and getting a loan. Right. I'm. I'm. Not, I'm just. I'm guessing because I know you're a smart guy. So, um, I just thought it was interesting that these people that are very wealthy are saying two years. I've said you need to have three to six months of operating reserves. Three months is a minimum that you should have in operating reserves. Uh, They're saying two years. And hell, for a lot of contractors, it would take two years just to get six months of reserves. Mm -hmm. Right? And so let alone have a two-year operating reserve. It's, It's just interesting to me how... People that are very successful, and by success, I mean, you know, financially successful, how they look at money and how they look at risk in and, and that, and that perspective. I think for a lot of contractors, and you can tell me if you agree, disagree, I think for a lot of contractors, we're not businessmen, right? Like, we know how to build post-frame buildings. We know how to remodel bathrooms. We know how to do, you know, replace roofs and pour concrete and all these different trades. And we're really good at it, but we never, we never stopped to actually get business education. It's something that I think we really, really, as a, as an industry wide, I think we really need to start
1: being better at being better at business. Would you agree mm-hmm. or disagree with that? I would fullheartedly agree. So one of the things that I always say now is I would have hired an office manager way before I hired anybody else on
0: the crew. We've had that conversation before, but you didn't, you didn't hire an office manager. You hired all your crew or a lot of your crew, and mm-hmm. then you end up hiring an office manager, right? Yep. But now that you've hired an office manager, you're like, I can't. I don't know how I did this business without one, and I yep. would never want to do it without ever having one.
1: Yep. Yep. Right? And Yeah, and you drop the ball on a lot of the important pieces of your company up until you, you make that choice.
0: How, how do you that's this is another good topic to deep dive in so how did you how did you come to the decision to hire an office manager like how did you get to that point and you're like I need to
1: hire an office manager and then execute on that mm-hmm. She might be able to tell you a little bit better about it but um <laughs> so I had an accident three years ago, and I started having to delegate and I started looking at the big picture of the company and seeing what I was doing wrong and I started focusing on what, like, you're the bottleneck of your company. So then start hiring for the people that have the strengths to match your weaknesses. Take the things off your plate one list at a time. And it was a natural transition. And really, it wasn't right off the bat as a, a office manager. So I actually started out of putting it out as a part-time Somebody that was wanting to focus on doing some social media for me, marketing, stuff like that. And then teaching them how to do like inner receipts and do a little bit of bookkeeping. I don't even know the entire list of like roles that she plays, but they're probably more than me on some of the, the company. So,
0: oh, yeah. 100%. Hundred percent. I mean, there's things that they will come up with. They're like, "Hey, you know, you really need to do this in your company," and then they start doing it. Or they may just see a see a void in what you're doing and just start doing it. And like, you may not even really know to the full extent of what all they do in your company. So, what I'm hearing you say is that that was a very important decision that you made, a, a position that you hired for, even though you didn't have like the complete foresight of what was going to turn into. But looking back on it now, that was one of your best hires you ever made. Yep. How, how did that change how you worked in your business and you know, like your focus and all that? What did that do for you as a business owner? One thing that I would,
1: would really say is that she, she plays a, a crucial role in providing accountability for me on the office side, on the business side, keeping me focused on that. Whereas if you hire guys out in the field they keep distracting you to help them in the field. It's just grown to where uh, there's a lot of things that get done that I don't stress about anymore. So,
0: right. What do you have any tips on hiring office managers? Just nothing crazy. Just some general tips on like what they should do or, you know, do's or
1: don'ts on hiring an office manager based on your experience. I would say that it was a fluke. Um, I just got lucky and, I don't know if I could really recreate it if I was to do it all over again. But find somebody that's invested in the company. That's their main goal is to see you succeed and, and for themselves to succeed. Don't forget why you're making that decision. So be intentional about it.
0: Now, a lot of people listening to this, Shane, are going to say, I mean, I'd love to have an office manager. I mean, I, I would hire one in a heartbeat. I know I need that help, but I just can't afford it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it's an expense, right? It's not... It's not an income-producing job like a carpenter or something. What would you say to those people that have that that thought of?
1: I just can't afford it. Okay, uh, I would like to see where they are coming from to say that they can't afford it, and where they're seeing. Because yes, like it isn't a revenue directly revenue-producing hire. One of the things that you're doing is actually getting some of your hats off of your head and putting it on somebody else, you can start out with not necessarily having a full-blown office gal that you're paying a decent wage to. You can start out with somebody that's looking for a part-time job like I did and you ease into it and know that like if if they're willing to grow and develop into something for your company that you're going to eventually have to Start paying them what they're worth Um, and maybe more than what they're worth at the very beginning. But you can start out, take the small step. Don't necessarily go and hire a $100,000 project manager right off the bat. That's not necessarily what you're looking for. So,
0: Yeah, that's that's really good advice. You know, I I use the term and and you kind of repeated it about not a revenue generating position. But if you really look at what they do, they do generate revenue, right? I know, I know you know this. I'm speaking to the listeners. They do generate revenue. They generate revenue by freeing up your time. And then that extra time that you're freed up with can now be produced, can now be spent producing more revenue for your business. So that, that is in turn is a revenue uh, producing activity in your business by hiring them. Not only that, they just like, keep, get your sanity, your sanity back, right? Like you're not trying to do a hundred thousand things a day. Now, now you're only doing 50,000 things a day, right? Cause you offloaded all those and all of the little balls, all of the little value added activities that you do, like calling customers after the job's done, sending out thank yous or, you know, gifts and all that that you just didn't do in the past because you just did not have enough time. Now you're able to have someone do those things. And then now you're able to actually even even increase the value of your company, which in turn allows you to charge more. And so those are all, you know, that position is so central to the entire health of the company in terms of how you can bring quality to your projects and your clients. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with all that? Yep. Yep, I would. I I like what you said about hiring part-time. I think a lot of people get hung up in this idea that if they hire someone, it's got to be a full-time person. They got to have all these amenities and blah, 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 blah. One of the things when I start when I hired my first office manager, my office was in my house. Mm -hmm. I had a dedicated office, but it was in my house. And, you know, I had the head trash of no one's going to want to work in my house, Mm -hmm. right? They don't want to come to my house and work. Or I don't know if I want someone working in my house, especially if I'm not there. No. Right. So, But long story short, I found, a, I found someone who was more than happy to work in my house. It wasn't a problem. You know, they had it. She had a designated space, but it was still in my house and uh, it worked out fine. Like it was not a problem. You can hire part time people. There are people out there that are looking for part time revenue. Mm-hmm. You don't have to hire full time. So. Don't get stuck in this idea that you have to go out and hire a full-time person who's going to work in your office. And if you don't have an office, you got to go rent an office and then add all his overhead and blah, blah,
1: blah, blah, blah. You don't have to do that. Yep. There, was, there was a time where she worked from home. So, yeah.
0: So a uh, few more questions here for you,
1: Shane. How do you find employees like your labor force? That's a great question. That's one of the things that she's been handling as well. Um, you have to build your your brand so that you're noticed. you have to be somewhat look like you have it together company wise, even though I think even when we we have it together we really we really don't. So it can be chaotic if you're at times. but a lot of times we have referrals, we have applications come in she she handles all of that, but we did just, interview a couple people even this morning i had a zoom call with with a potential employee that looks beneficial they're from out of town looking to move here to work for us so awesome and how did and so you
0: don't you don't know maybe you don't know because you said your office manager handles it. how did how was it like from an indeed application or post or whatever how did that come about uh
1: i don't know if it was facebook or indeed we have multiple. We're on multiple different platforms on that type of stuff. Okay, um, and I can tell you that the advertising on that is pretty low. Like the okay. actual cost. So,
0: so you said something important there. I wanted to touch on. You said that you have your company looks like a legitimate company, right? Like you have branding in place. Like you actually look like you know what you're doing, even though maybe sometimes you don't. But you still have the appearance. How much do you think appearance, meaning your branding, your website, your company vehicles, your uniforms, how much of that do you think affects the quality of the employees that you hire? It
1: is pretty significant because you're not, if you're going to look like two chums in a truck, you're going to be like the people that you're hiring on. Like maybe you do luck out and you find a decent employee. But they might not stick around if that's how you're operating too. Like, and it's, it might, it goes a little bit further than just appearance. Like, you you do kind of have to have some systems in place. I would say that you have to pay well. Took some advice from Robert Molinay, and we actually were doing four day work weeks now, gave the guys raises, and they actually do a lot better. And every other weekend, we have four days off. But one of the things, too, I think was really beneficial in improving the type of people that we hired on is actually having a structured morning meeting every single day where we talk about what happened the day before, what we're going to be doing that day. The guys know what the tentative plan is for the next week, where they're going to be the next day so that when they come back in from the field, it's not chaotic the next morning and they don't necessarily know what the game plan is. You you mean you
0: actually communicate with your team? Yep. Yep. That sounds like a wildly
1: crazy idea. Mind same, blowing. Like actually communicating with your team. Four years <laughs> without a morning meeting, so <laughs> it it is kind of a a breakthrough.
0: I know we're joking about it, but it literally—I mean, it literally is. Yeah. It's like it's so important to your business to have a morning meeting. Yep. Uh, you know, tailgate meeting, whatever you want to call it. Like you got to have some type of meeting, whether it's you or a foreman or, you know, project manager or somebody, you got to have some meetings to keep things going. Right. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's some good stuff. I like that. The, uh, I'm a big proponent on the appearance. Obviously you have to have some, you know, some wherewithal, you got to have some systems in place. You got to have some processes and things. If, you know, if you're, if you look like a homeless man, right. In terms of your appearance, You're probably not going to attract a, you know, a multi-million dollar CEO to come in and be a general manager of your business. Yeah. Right? Like, probably not going to happen. Does that mean you have to have a brand new truck and everything's got to be brand new and super clean and all that? No. It does not mean that at all. But you can't be wearing your Budweiser t-shirt, you know, khaki shorts and flip-flops and, uh, you know, Bass Pro Shop hat and then expect to have a, you know, good image of people that want to work for you. I'm sure someone's listening to this is going to say, yeah, but that's me and I'm very successful. And I'm like, great. You're, you're the uh, oddity, right? You're the exception to the rule. And this one thing that everyone wants to be or think is that everyone thinks they're the exception to the rule. Let me be one to tell you, you're not the exception to the rule until you actually are the exception to the rule. So, If you have a wildly successful company and you wear t-shirts, you know, Budweiser, bass hats, flip flops, and you want to come on the podcast, please reach out to me because I want to interview you. (laughs) I'm going to guess that an overwhelming majority of the people that listen to this are not in that, you know, in that place. So, uh, appearance is definitely important to that. We're pushing right up to 45 minutes and I don't want to take any more of your time, Shane. So, What's some parting advice that you have for contractors that are listening to this? Just so, It could be about anything. Like, what's some, What do you think is or feel like is something that's super important that's led you to where you are in your business and the successes that you've had?
1: Surround yourself with successful people. Um, that includes your employees, your clients. And one thing that was a breakthrough for me as well just a couple of years ago was actually get the coaching and the sales training, even business training. There's a lot of different resources out there. Open your eyes and just like what you said, people being stubborn in their ways. Why, why tie your hands behind your back and try to succeed at business? Like, get them out in front of you. Listen to everybody else. That's we're all struggling. We've all been there, unless I guess maybe if you got handed a trust fund or something. But like, I did. Yeah. Yeah. That would be my
0: advice. Is listen don't don't go at it alone. Like surround yourself with good people and get the advice. I love it. I love it. What's uh what what's a book that you're reading currently or one that you if you're not reading one, what's one that you recommend? It's a good book. Uh
1: you know, I'm listening to Story Brand right now. My website guy was actually the one that directed me to it. I can send you the information a little bit later.
0: Yeah, uh Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. Mm -hmm. Great book. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely great book. Awesome. Well, uh, Shane, if if somebody wanted to reach out to you and uh, just find out about your business, or maybe they, I don't know, maybe they want to sell you something, Mm -hmm. maybe that probably wouldn't be a good thing. But let's, if somebody wanted to reach out to you and
1: and pick your brain, how can they, what's the best way to uh, get in touch with you? Uh, The easiest way is going to be jump on to ycam.net, W Y C A M, as in net, And all my contact information is there. Be able to get a hold of me and check out the Facebook page, Instagram, all the good social medias.
0: Awesome. So ycam.net is his website. You guys go check it out and reach out to him through there if you need to. Shane, I appreciate you so much being on the show and talking about your business. I know a lot of contractors who are listening are going to benefit from, from a lot of the advice that you gave. And so I just really appreciate you being on the show. Yep. Cool. Thanks, Brad so guys you know where to find me and listen to the podcast if you're not already i mean you should be because you're hearing me say this but you can find us also on all the social media platforms just search for hammer and grind podcast tiktok discord instagram facebook check out my free facebook group uh, the contractor profit group and uh, as always guys until next time be the best version of you